And I'm going to tell you, good morning. Glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, if you're joining us online, thank you so much. Uh, you know, every time I hear that music when I come up, I just wish I had a sense of rhythm. That's what I did. Um, I'll date myself a little bit here. I graduated in 19, from high school in 1978, and that was the big, that's when um, Saturday Night Live and disco was big, so people would go out. And, and the age in Texas was 18, so we would go to clubs as seniors, and then they'd come back and talk as Monday. And, and I guess I had been out dancing, and, and they just thought it was really bad, so they kind of made up the Andy dance. And the Andy dance, you just kind of go crazy and do your own thing. It was really humiliating. So I have no sense of rhythm, so that's why I really don't do a lot of moves when I come out to the music. It's not that I don't want to, I just, I just don't have it. So, Hey, when any time... I hear somebody talk about a fitness program. They always talk about developing core strength. We want to do strength in the core because it gives stability, it gives balance, it's, it's critical for overall fitness. Well, today I want to talk about the core of our faith. We've been working through this series in 1 John, which has talked about love and light and kind of how that shows the truth of our faith. But I, I do want to talk about this morning... From our text, what is the core of our faith? So if you have a Bible, if you would open that to 1 John chapter 5, verse 5, we'll start there and we'll go through the end of the chapter, which will actually be the end of the book, and we'll wrestle with this question, what is the core of our faith? What is it that is the core of our faith? Our, our text starts this way, who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So we have just talked about that our faith has overcome the world, and we had talked about we're in this world that is full of hate, and John is calling us to love. He, he was in a, a church that was riddled with false teachers, and John still said, I'm calling you to love. And we're, we're, we're called to faith, but it's always important to ask, what is the object of our faith? I have faith. Oh, you have faith in what? Well, John clarifies that for in verse 5, he says, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, that is the object of our faith, that is the center of what we believe, Jesus is the Son of God. And he's going to unpack that a little bit more, starting in verse 6. He says, this is the one, talking about Jesus, who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with water only, but with water and with blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Let's stop there. What does he mean by water and blood? And boy, when you read the commentaries, the, the scholars get going on this, and what might it be, and what might it not be, and, and here's what I think. Water refers to the baptism of Jesus. Jesus was born of a woman. He lived 30 years as a carpenter. He was apprenticed under his father, but at about 30 years old, he was baptized, and that was an initiation into his public ministry. That water, I, I believe, is reflective of his humanity. Jesus was fully human. And that would be important because he would represent us, humanity on the cross, for our sin. The blood refers to his crucifixion. Three years after he was introduced into public ministry, he would be crucified according to the plan of God. 
And he would be certified dead on Friday afternoon. A Roman centurion would take a spear and certify by the discharge in his side. He was dead, dead, dead. And to be placed in the tomb, it would be a very public place. He would be embalmed. A large rock would be rolled over it. And Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. And anybody that wanted to dispute it, it was publicly, you go, you look, he's not there. Fully human, but fully God. He rose from the dead. And that's critical because when it comes to somebody taking the sin of the world, we're talking yours and mine and everybody else's, not anybody can do that. We need a human who's fully God. And Jesus fits that bill. And it says, the Spirit who testifies this, because the Spirit is the truth. Verse 7, there are, for there are three that testify. In Jewish law, in Jewish times, you needed three witnesses to bring a verdict. So John said, I got three. I got the humanity of Jesus, I got the deity of Jesus, and I got the Spirit of God. The Spirit and the water and the blood are the three in agreement. Here's John's point, verse 9. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. Look, when we put somebody on trial for a capital offense, which could end up life in prison, or depending on the state, it could end up with the death penalty, we count on the testimonies of human beings to bring serious verdicts. So John's saying, if we'll do that with human testimony, how about for the testimony of God? For the testimony of God is this. That he has testified concerning his son. That Jesus is fully God and fully human, sent of the Father to die for our sin. Verse 10. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. So God's not letting you off. It's like, why? Well, I, I, you know, I believe in God, but I don't, I, I don't do Jesus. That's not going to fly. God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit are a package deal. And the Father in heaven, confirming with the Spirit, says this, I sent my Son. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he does not believe in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. God is speaking of his Son. He says, this is true. It all hangs on this. The core of our faith then is this. Jesus Fully human, fully God. What is the core? What is the center of our faith? Jesus, come in the water, fully human, come in the blood, fully God. Jesus, fully human, fully God. Uh, verse, why is that important? Well, here it is, verse 11 and 12. Uh, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. Why is he setting it all up? Because here's where it's a hinge point for you and me. God came to give us life. We broke that with our rebellion. God came to restore that with his son, having him die on the cross and rise from that according to his plan. The testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. And where is that life? This life is in his son. Okay? He who has the son of God has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Look, salvation 
is a black and white issue. It is not a gray issue. You have the Son of God. You have the life. You don't have the Son of God. You don't have the life. So I worked campus ministry for years, and we would meet with students, and we would ask them these questions. There was D. James Kennedy out of Florida who came up with them, but I, I thought they were really good, clarifying questions. If you were to die tonight, how sure would you be that you go to heaven? Scale it from zero to 100 for me. And then if you were to stand before God and God say, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And most students say, well, you know, I'm about, to, uh, about 82%. Why, why 82 and not 84 or 76? And, well, you know, I kind of did something. And, I, and, and, and then, all right, so God says, why should I let you into heaven? And, and, and well, yeah, I've been pretty good. I mean, God would say it's, 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 uh, there, there's two answers on getting into heaven percentage-wise. It's zero or 100. And the reason God would let anyone into heaven is not based on anything they did or didn't do. It's based on the fact that they trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin. They understood that we are broken people, sinful people, and that our, we have violated a perfect God. That's why Jesus had to come, and that's why he died on the cross, that we could be right with him. And we decide, we'll figure it out on our own. We'll go our own way. That's going to get us in trouble. It's a bad idea. So, okay, I'm not very good with mechanical things. I'm just not. Um, sophomore year, after my sophomore year in college, I was a chemical engineering major, and they were giving you jobs, recruit, give you this ridiculous way to try and recruit you. So I was at a gas plant in Snyder, Texas, and I was going to be six weeks in the plant, two weeks in the truck, two weeks operations and two weeks in office with the chemical engineer. So the first six weeks were in the plant. End of week three, Monday of week four, the foreman says to me, hey, hey, you know, you can learn a lot by watching. Because they had had enough stuff screwed up and they thought, what's, what's the... What's the new factor in here? Well, it's Andy. You know, I, 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 hey, hey, for the next three weeks, why don't you just watch? Why did they say that? Because I'm no good at mechanical stuff. So, let's bring this forward to last summer. We get a new lawnmower. We got one when we came to town in 2003, and the other one just... It, it just died. This was 2020. We thought it was time to get a new lawnmower. I thought, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I've got an inferiority complex in mechanical things. I'm, I'm going to make this work. How hard can it be with a lawnmower? How hard can it be? Get a little oil, fill the oil thing up, get some gas, put it in there, prime the thing, do the little thing you've got to hold to engage the motor, and, and pull the ripcord. It's, it's not that tricky. But it won't go. It won't go. So, man, what is the deal? So I thought, I'm, I'm going to try it all again, and, and then I'll prime the cord a little bit, and, and it still, it won't go. And I go through this routine for about five minutes trying to figure out what is the deal. Well, then I, I turn the lawnmower upside down, and, and the handle, it, it's, it's, it's pushed down into the, where the motor goes. It's a, it's a safety feature. And, and there's just two little screws you've got to do on the front end and lift it up. And then, you, and, then you, and then you're good to go. But it took me 
five minutes to figure that out. Do you know why? I didn't read the directions. See, the manufacturer of this thing wanted to help me out and he gives some directions and just turn these little screws and pull that handle up and you're good. But no, 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 no. I, 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 I'm not very good at mechanical things. I want to do this. How hard can it be with a lawnmower? But apparently it was pretty hard. What is my point? The creator of this world has written a direction manual. And he has told us how it goes. And here's what he has said. You and I are separated from God because of our sin. We have rebelled against God. He created us to be in a relationship with him. He thought, no, I don't think so. I'm going to do my own thing. The Bible calls that sin. That's why Jesus came and died 2,000 years ago. And he lived a perfect life, the life we were supposed to live. And followed God right up to the point he died on the cross and he rose again. And God's saying, this is how you get right with me. And we think, no, 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 no. I think I'm going to do it on my own. And we're like Andy, trying to get the lawnmower going. Ha ha, this doesn't work. God's calling us. And he's given us very simple directions. For those of us who believe, this is what he writes, verse 13. Here we go. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. In order that you may hope that you have eternal life. Is that what it says? No, no, no. It says that you may know. What kind of percentage are we talking about in verse 13? On assurance. That you may know. We're talking about 100% sure. Why? Because you were so good? I was so good? No. No, 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 no. Because God's sacrifice was perfect. That's why we can know. Because he's good to his word. And that gives us security in life. And let me make sure you understand that eternal life is life that starts now and goes into eternity. Yeah, life starts, well, I believe in Jesus and I score off in the by and by. No, 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 right now. See, we build our life on, we've got to win. We've got to get the promotion. We've got to get married. We've got to have a child. That's when I know I'll have life. And life is always elusive. It's always escaping us. And we put so much pressure on the one. We put so much pressure on the marriage. We put so much pressure on the promotion. We put so much pressure on the... It, it wears us out. I didn't get married until I was 33. I think part of my issue was I was counting on that to give me life so much. I think intuitively women thought, oh, I don't know. Life is in Jesus. And we may win. And we may get the promotion, and we may get married, and we may have a kid. But that is not what ultimately gives us life. And, and, and Jesus is saying, I want you to know you can have life now into eternity because of a relationship with me. He is writing us in the owner's manual. He goes on, verse 14. This is the confidence we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We have access to him right now. Now, please catch the caveat. We're asking according to his will. So it's not like I get a new car, I get a new house. We're asking things in terms of character and nature. We ask according to his will, he hears us. And we know he hears in whatever we ask, we know that we might have the request which we've asked from him. From him. Verse 16 and 17, he calls us to be involved with other people. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God, and God will for him give life to those who are committing commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. 
All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. Well, the call is there to pray for people. The question will come in is, well, what, what is the sin that's leading to death? And again, scholars spend lots of ink on this, and it goes round and round. On context, in the context of the book of 1 John, I think the sin that leads to death is the rejection of Jesus as Savior. I mean, John is writing this book to confirm, to give us confirmation that you have Jesus. He says, if you obey God and you love others, that's confirmation that Jesus is there. But at the core of it, he's calling us to believe in Jesus. So in the context of this thing, I believe the sin that leads to death is the rejection of Jesus. And everybody has an opportunity to respond to him until they die. Verse 18, we know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. And again, we talked about this when John's talking about it. He, he talked about we have an advocate. When we sin, we're to confess. That means we don't live a life that is characterized by sin. Verse 19 and 20, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you feel frustrated, Right now, and you look around and you look at stuff that's going on, and you, what is happening? I'll tell you what is happening. The, the, the world lies in the power of the evil one. He hates God, and where God wants to bring life, he wants to bring death and destruction. The world is a system intentionally designed to exclude God. What's the answer? We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God, and eternal life. And John has an interesting close. It says this, little children, guard yourselves from idols. Given that Jesus, who Jesus is, guard yourself from idols. Well, we don't worship idols anymore. You're talking about statues. We don't do that. Oh, but we have modern day idols, don't we? With popularity and appearance, Right? Comfort, success. Can I tell you one of mine? Security. My dad grew up in the Depression. Money was always tight. We always heard about the next crisis. So I've grown up with that. I mean, I, I don't think I'm a materialist with money, but, but I want to save it. I want to be secure. There's nothing wrong with saving money. It's a good idea. The Bible commends it. But if I ever get to the point that I think my security is in my savings. I've missed it. My security's in Jesus. You realize how fast security goes? Stock market takes a tank. Economy goes down. What happened a year ago when the pandemic goes? What happened to our economy? I mean, there's no security other than Jesus. And yet we live in this world that says, I want you to find life. I want you to find success. I want you to find happiness. I want you to find it in all these other things. Why? Because the world is in the power in the hands of the evil one. John's saying be careful because of that. One of the things we need to do, we talk about we want to grow, connect, and serve. We want to grow in this area, understanding where our idols are. and We need to confess those to God and allow him to grow us out of them where we trust him. In a minute, we're going to close with a song, Not I, but Through Christ in Me. You know, living out this life 
is not something we can do on our own. It's a time of complete desperation, dependence on God. Would we be people that are trusting him, not I, but through Christ in me? So we were in Arizona. We bought our first home, or we, we contracted to have our first home built. Um, and the way it is in Arizona, there's no basements. The ground's too hard. When they would come in to do the, the, the landscaping, they'd come in with a mini jackhammer to put a little hole for your plant. So there's no basements. What they do is they lay an 18-inch slab, cement slab. And there was one builder in town, and you could, they could tell you, and you could follow it along. And, and so that everything in that house rode, all our hopes, all our dreams in that house rode on that we lived in there 18 months. And I got some memories. Our, our oldest son was about two and a half when we moved in there. And pretty quickly, we moved him into the, the big boy bed. And, and uh, in, you know, we told him to stay in bed at night, and he was really good at that. But in, in the morning sometimes, uh, or regularly, he, he would wake up and we'd hear him shuffle his covers. And then he'd get out, and we'd hear the, the door open, and then, and then the, the feet would patter down, and he'd push our door open. Hey, and he jump in bed with us. Yeah, I, I got those memories from that home that I, I treasure. But do you understand none of those memories happen in that house if that 18-inch slab fails? If that foundation fails, none of the stuff we happened in that Well, God has given us life. None of this life happens if our core fails. That's why I'm, I, I'm grateful that our core is as stable and even more as that 18-inch cement slab. See, the core of our faith is Jesus, fully human and fully God. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful that uh, your core is that, Jesus, fully human, fully God. Um, thanks that um, we know that to be true. We're grateful that uh, you have written an owner's manual. And we pray we wouldn't make the mistake I made with the lawnmower, that we'd read the directions. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as you leave, they're going to be preparing coffee. It'll be outside if you want to do it. I invite you to, to join us. With that, I invite Daniel to come and close our service.